0: This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 175. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Riley Bowman. And today, Jacob Paulson also joins us.
1: Howdy, everybody. It's me. <laughs>
0: And today is our usual news episode of the week, featuring all kinds of news stories from around the globe. And uh, today, a couple of stories that will be featured include some legislative updates from a couple of uh, states. Pennsylvania, Michigan uh, are included in that list. Gun Owners of America, the uh, pro-gun rights organization, uh, has sent an open letter to the GOP to do something on pro-gun bills. That'll be an interesting one to cover. And also, Jacob, I think probably the story I'm most excited to get to is this story of an elderly. like He's like 74 years old, British man, who is now going to spend five years in prison after he was discovered to have a collection of over 100 illegal firearms. And of course, that means in in the UK, virtually any of his guns were (laughs) illegal.
1: Basically illegal, yeah. (laughs) Anyway. I wonder what he's going to do with all of his suppressors. Those were probably fine.
0: <laughs> right. And, uh, of course, don't forget that we've got some uh, justified stories today as well that will be good to talk about. But uh, first, today's episode is brought to you by Glock eTrainer, which the concealedcarry.com team here, we bring, we're bring we bringing to you a simple and inexpensive tool to elevate your dry fire training. No tools required. Not a whole lot of money is required either. They're very affordably priced. All you got to do is... Pick one of these up, slip it on your favorite Glock. You've got a, a model one and a model two. It'll fit different widths of Glock. Popular Glock frames. We're we we do not quite have the Glock forty two and forty three models ready yet, but they hope hopefully will be out soon. Slip one on, and you can run drills, work on trigger manipulation, and much more without having to rack the slide each time you do it to reset the trigger. Really cool product, and like I said, it's super reasonable and affordable. Only twenty-four dollars and forty-four cents. Pretty hard to beat that. You can't pick up a cert pistol. You can't pick up a airsoft pistol that's worth any anything at all. You can't pick up hardly anything and use it for dry fire practice. That makes it so easy. Like the Glock E Trainer. So check it out, Glocketrainer.com. And today being a early of the you know, beginning of the week news episode of the podcast, we have a little training tip here. And uh, the training tip today is use slow-mo video as a learning tool. And this is something that I've done a number of times, uh, sometimes even just trying to diagnose a problem with a gun. Sometimes you're like, well, is this having a failure to, you know, extract this round out of my AR or what? what's going on here? And you can use slow-mo and see what's going on there. But also, it's a very valuable tool from a training perspective that most cameras now if if you're up to speed with any modern smartphone a lot of them now have a slow-mo video feature some of which are up to 240 frames per second which is a lot and it's adequate for being able to slow down and watch you know your every move as you're going through a particular drill whether it's drawing a gun you know I've even used it to to look at how my support hand is mating up with my other hand you know on the grip of the gun as I am pushing out to the target uh, just, you know, looking at those really fine, finite or, or small details to try to go, okay, yep. I see now what I'm doing there. I can make a little tweak, make that a little bit better, a little bit more consistent. And so I really like sometimes pulling out the uh, iPhone. I, I have an iPhone that has slow-mo video on it and set that up even on a tripod or have a friend hold it. And it's really valuable as far as the information you can learn about your shooting and your, your habits. So what do you think, Jacob?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan. I have a slide in my kind of basic class deck where I talk about this this very topic. You know, we pay a lot of money to get formal training from an instructor, but unfortunately, most instructors don't let you record everything they do on video, go home and play it back and rewind it and and play it. And so I think, you know, Slow motion aside, I think that we underestimate the value of having virtual video, whether it's free content on YouTube or something I've paid for that I'm able to hit pause and rewind on and watch. So in addition to you know recording myself shooting with my own phone and being able to go back and watch in slow-mo, I think that just broadly speaking, I think there's great value to conceptually understanding that there's a lot of good content on the internet, some paid for, some free. And my ability to hit pause and rewind is an extraordinary valuable asset that I don't get in a live training situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. I mean, using video period is is helpful, and for a long time, that's what we were limited to was was on uh, most devices or small cameras using just standard video. And I I just I love what sm- slow motion brings to the picture. As far as there's just there's things I've noticed about my shooting habits that I never. Would have noticed or thought about or realized it even existed until you watch yourself shooting slow mo and you're like, I do that. <laughs> you're like, Holy cow! You know, like some little tiny and you know it's usually something small, but you don't realize some little habit, uh, you know, either positive or negative for that you know fact. Like there's some things I'm like, Wow, actually, I I did that better than I expected. You know, like so it can go both ways. Either way, it's it's all about learning. Uh, and any tool we can use or that we have at our disposal to help us learn better and and then also make those changes, you know that, that feedback is really helpful, I think, to maximizing your training. So mm-hmm. anyway, yep, simple tip and easy to do. And if you don't have a smartphone or a camera with slow motion video, well go pick one up. <laughs> oh, anyway. Today's uh, episode is also brought to you by Guardian Nation, which I'd like to just feature here at the top of the episode as well, that our big Guardian Nation Black Friday sale starts this Thursday night. Was it 10 p.m. Mountain, Jacob?
1: Correct. 10 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 a.m. Black Friday, Eastern Time, right? So 11 p.m. Thanksgiving Central, 10 p.m. Mountain, and 9 p.m. Pacific Thanksgiving.
0: Cool. So... Big deal and lots of, um, you you may have heard a special episode uh, that Jacob and I recorded last week. And I think it just went live yesterday, uh, uh, you know, featuring a lot of the uh, products that are going to be available, you know, on sale, hugely discounted products. So check out GuardianNation.com if you're not already a member as to how to become a member and be able to participate in that huge sale. And also today's episode is brought to you by the Brave Response Appendix Holster as well, which I'm wearing and carrying in today. Jacob, you? Me as well. Nice. Good man. Good man. So let's get into our first news story. This one's out of Pennsylvania where the uh, Pennsylvania governor, uh, he's a Democrat, uh, doesn't matter, but Governor Tom Wolf. He has thrown his support, and this comes as no surprise, by the way, I'm sure to anybody, but he's, he has thrown his support behind a drive to strengthen state law on mandatory relinquish, relinquishment of firearms after misdemeanor crimes of domestic violence. Now, we're seeing more and more of this across the country. Uh, you know, We're seeing this even in the form of high, high-risk protection orders, like Oregon just recently passed and, and is mm-hmm. now put into law. We've, we've talked about that several times on this podcast. And this is kind of right up that same alley. I mean, clearly we we do see a trend and I know you'll agree with me on on this, Jacob. Uh, Not that we agree on a lot of things, but I know you'll agree with me on this one. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, But you know, we see a trend that a lot, a lot of gun uses uh, you know, deadly ones, as far as murders and things that are committed with guns, a lot of times they involve a domestic situation. So, Some people think the answer is we need these high-risk protection orders, or we need to require confiscation of firearms after a simple misdemeanor crime of domestic violence. Now, I don't mean to like be all insensitive about domestic violence in any way, because it's inexcusable and it's not cool, right? Uh, And I, you know, anything—I don't know if I'd say anything—but you know, if there are things, reasonable things that we can do to prevent that, to stop domestic violence, then obviously I think that's, that's a worthwhile endeavor. The problem is we get into some of this legislation and like these high-risk protection orders and I I, I really strongly feel that there's some due process problems, you know, where due, due process is being removed from the equation, which is a constitutional right as well. And, and so yeah. really we're, we're talking about, so, so sorry, so we're talking about two big-time constitutional provisions that are, are removed from an individual because of things like a high risk protection order in this case you know he's saying hey after misdemeanor crimes and domestic violence this senate bill 501 uh you know that gun owners are, are going to be required to relinquish their firearms
1: yeah th- and this is this is pretty intense and and basically the way i understand this right tell me if i'm misunderstanding it but what the bill says is Previously, there was a provision that allowed that instead of surrendering your firearms, you could hand them off to friends or family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now this bill is saying that's no longer an option. You can no longer hand your guns off to friends or family for safekeeping. You now have to just surrender them completely. So where, whereas previously we gave you that option, now we're saying that's no longer an option you have. Uh, so you know the, the original bill could already be argued that it's, it's a horrible idea. This one is even more interesting because, because now it's not it's really, it's not an argument about whether or not you should or shouldn't have to surrender the guns that 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 decision has already been made. This bill is a question of whether or not when you're forced to surrender your guns, if you should have the option of just you know letting friends or family hold them for you. Sure. Well, so you know, it's
0: interesting because I don't know that it really makes much difference when you when you really think about it because. Uh, you know, it still results in some form of confiscation of, of yourself and your guns. Now, in a lot of these cases, it might very well be uh, com- completely justified, you know, because you got someone that is uh, committing acts of violence against someone. And quite often that does uh, escalate. But my concern is on the due process side of things, because anybody can say anything about anybody. And in some cases, you know, like in this Oregon high risk protection order case, just about Anybody. Including a law enforcement officer, uh, which has perhaps no relation to the situation at all, other than it could be that he arrived, you know, uh, on scene uh, on a report. Now, I would like to think that law enforcement officers would use good judgment and see, oh yeah, there's clearly some problems here, and maybe they f- they file that uh, that that order. But it also is open to family members or neighbors or just about anybody, you know, filing this protection order. And immediately, you you can expect confiscation of your weapons without, you know, vetting whether that protection order is even valid or not. And trust me, people take advantage of these sorts of things all the time. This one, I think, is interesting. The the, the thing that caught my eye on this one, Jacob, is, you know, we're talking about misdemeanor crimes. And I, I don't necessarily agree that someone should surrender their Second Amendment rights over a misdemeanor. Now, do I guess we could have the conversation about well, do we need to make more domestic violence uh, crimes uh, higher, you know, uh, crime, you know, take elevate it from a misdemeanor to a felony? I I don't know, you know, it, it, but it's a debate that that could be had. But yeah, know,
1: we, I mean, I, I agree. That's 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 an ugly debate, right? That and one we could get into, and something we've kind of talked about before. I mean, I think almost everybody knows knows somebody or has at least heard a story of somebody who's probably been charged with some form of domestic violence. Some of those people like very deserving of being charged and convicted. Other times it's almost ridiculous. Um, I mean it is it is one of those criminal charges that there are plenty of instances and some of them of which you know I'm personally connected where people are charged with that uh, unfairly, you know, almost as a way of a, an ex-spouse or somebody being spiteful or doing things like that. And and it's it just seems to be one of those things that, uh, you know, on the surface, it sounds like a great idea, but in reality, it almost feels like it doesn't always actually work out very fairly.
0: Yeah. Well, and that, that's, like I said, it comes back to, for me, i I don't know if I would have a necessarily a problem with the way this is writ- written or worded, except for I just have to know that that due process is in, you know is, is not uh, neglected in any way. You know, a person's got to be able to. I mean, and it can't necessarily always be a situation where it's like, well, in three weeks or in sixty days, you can have a court date in front of a judge where you can argue for, you know, hey, this was unfounded and I need my guns back. Like, it can't be that. That's 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 not due process in my opinion, mm-hmm. you know? And so it, it's got to be a situation, I think, where, uh, he, you know, it, it's got to happen faster. It's got to, you know, okay, you know, you can come down to the court, you, you know, and it, this is challenging too, because there's, our courts are busy, but uh, it's just got to, it cannot be one of those situations. I think it was the the Oregon one where it's like, they can come and immediately confiscate. And then it's like, three weeks or four weeks or something before you might yeah, ever right? appear in front of a judge and argue your case and go, Hey, you know, this happened because my ex just, you know, wanted to get back at me. And so she filed this order and it's like, Oh, okay. Yep. You know, yeah, we see that. All right. You know, we'll, we'll negate that. And Oh, here's your guns back. And well, this actually, is a little different, different than gonna... that. Though. no, I agree, but it, 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 I put it in the same realm because, it, you know, this is kind of self enforced, isn't it? Because it's saying basically that uh, in some of these domestic violence situations that you are required within, um, let's see here it says right here in addition to shrinking shrink the pool of those who can accept relinquished firearms, the bill would require surrenders to take place within 24 hours of conviction. Okay, and that's that's that is you're, you're right. That is that's
1: diverse. the main difference.
0: Whereas current yeah. law allows for a 60 day window. Okay, so I get that. I, I'm simply talking about the piece where. Now, keep in mind, this that that may impl- apply to misdemeanor crimes, right? And so once again, it brings up that piece of it as to whether that's severe enough to strip someone from their Second Amendment rights. And then my other concern is that this is just a move in the kind of the same direction I see it as some of these high-risk protection orders. Like, I see that happening eventually in, in Pennsylvania. That's the sentiment that I see here.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I'm not saying I agree with it at all, but I, I, I am... I am I think there's a distinction here between the extreme risk protection orders which are essentially removing a constitutional right without due process and this where you have been convicted there was due process you know you are you are guilty sure. now sure and so we're, we're choosing to remove this constitutional right whether that makes it good or not you know it's separate for me but it's definitely distinctive and different from right. the executive risk protection order crap
0: yeah well we report on it and, and you can all, you know, make your own decisions about it, whether it's, uh, you know, good or not, whether you want to contact your uh, legislators or governor or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's all we can do is kind of show the facts and maybe talk about maybe what some of the issues might be. And and from there, you can you can take it away. Um, but anyway, th- by the way, the story came from guns.com just to give him credit for the story. Moving on now to story number two which is from lidblog.com. Never been to this site before. The Lid says at the top. (laughs) Uh, But the story is constitutional carry legislation passes in Michigan House. So before we get too far into this particular story, I just thought it was worthwhile noting that just last week, uh, we reported on the Michigan State Senate uh, passing a bill through the Senate Okay, so once again, that's one that would have to go still through the House. And what we're going going to talk about today about constitutional carry uh, has passed the House, and we'll need to go through the Senate before either of these bills can arrive at the governor's desk. But last week's was about passing, uh, where they were looking at eliminating gun-free zones.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this one, uh, I don't know that it requires a ton of explanation, right? Constitutional carry, I think our listeners are probably relatively familiar with, with the concept, right? That one would not need a permit. Uh, or license or anything else to be able to just carry a concealed gun uh, legally you know, in, in public. And so this bill passed the Senate, or excuse me, no, passed the House and, and goes on to the Senate. So we'll see right. where this goes.
0: Yep. So I mentioned last week's story as well, because I, I just think, hey, this is pretty cool to see Michigan, you know, two big bills, as far as I'm concerned, as far as gun, gun rights go in a short time. Uh, both being considered. So we'll keep following those and let you know if those uh, get through. Mm
1: -hmm. Next up. California.
0: Yeah. And we, we talked last week. I remember we didn't have a lot of details at that point. We were aware of the story as it was developing and unfolding of this shooter in Northern California. uh, And, so, yeah, well, what we know now is that uh, there were 5 people that were killed as part of that. It was initially reported that some of the students at a nearby elementary school were sh- well there were some that were injured or shot during this incident. Uh and some earlier reports w- got it wrong where there were some stations that were saying there were two children that had died or something. Uh but that was false. Uh, uh no no children uh are have were killed as part of this, but they were there were definitely several that were injured. Um Five people killed, nine another nine injured, in this uh, rampage. And what's interesting is that court documents. This is what's this is coming from the Associated Press through a tweet from them. This story we're reading is on uh, RedState.com. But uh, this, this shows here that court documents show Northern California shooter was prohibited from having guns as part of a stra- restraining order. So isn't this timely? You know, on the heels of this Pennsylvania story we were just talking about. And, you know, so here we have a restraining order, right, against this guy. And according to the law there, he would have been prohibited from having guns. All right? Oh, it gets better, though. Yeah, I know it does. I know. But uh, (laughs) just, just touching on that piece right now, it's like, this is why I can see that, I can see, I can understand the logic, right, why people get up all in arms and want to pass certain laws that deal with these domestic violence situations and confiscating or relinquishing guns from those that are accused or that have protection orders against them, right? I can see the logic, but what's interesting here is that it didn't do anything to stop this from happening. Nada. Right? And I know that's where you're going to go.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm going to go there, but also interesting little note here is, let's see here. Uh, do, 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 do. I'm just looking for this. Oh <clears throat> of the shooter's guns, the assistant sheriff Phil Johnston said these firearms are manufactured illegally, we believe by him at his home. They were obtained in an illegal manner, not through a legal process. They're not registered. Well, first off, Sheriff Phil Johnston, you know, get off your registration horse. But <laughs> but this just goes even further to to kind of prove the point. Like it's it's not some proprietary, you know genius thing to be able to manufacture a gun you know so this is a guy who either was unable or too lazy to go about you know convincing someone else to walk into a store and go through a background check or was unable to find a private buyer to sell it to him or all these other things that we think happens he just went and made some guns yeah well you know and here's
0: this is something that I think is interesting Jacob and we almost have to tread carefully on right as far as uh gun control you know as far as gun control goes because when they say he manufactured illegally guns you know what what do you think you know that he got out a lathe and you know uh, uh, maybe he had a small shop you know CNC machine and he just started manufacturing parts right that's hard but, to
1: say right I mean it's, and theoretically that could absolutely be the case I mean that's that's hard to do at scale without some pretty nice equipment, right? But, but right. to to build something that's functional it doesn't take that, much, especially in the day of three three D printers. Right. But it also but probably more likely he bought the right pieces and you know with some tweaks and assembly got it done.
0: Well, see, and when I first heard this, I thought, "I'll bet you what it is is he assembled himself an AR-15." And another story on USA Today, you'll see there. Uh, actually I'll post uh, the link in the show notes for this as well shows that that's exactly what he did he made two homemade AR15 rifles okay now it's you can <laughs> you can acquire all of the parts of an AR15 minus the lower receiver right without a background check without, without, background without check. you know and that's why I'm saying boy this could get this could get interesting jacob because i could see you know we know very well the anti gunners that don't that know nothing about the thing that they want to take away from us it, you know they they probably have no idea about what you can do as far as parts and pieces of guns that you can buy and assemble yourself and the piece that is controlled you know by law by the ATF is the registered not registered but but serialized there we go that was the word i was actually going for Uh, serialized is that lower receiver, okay? So somehow he still had to get a hold of a lower receiver, which in theory could be 3D printed, okay? Uh, But, or he could have driven over to somebody, some dude's house that just was willing to sell him a receiver because he didn't think anything of it. I don't know. Either way, he acquired somehow all the parts and components, and he assembled these himself. So he built these two AR rifles that he used in the attack himself. So when they say manufactured, I guess, yes, he manufactured illegally because he wouldn't or shouldn't have been able to possess that lower receiver at all. But uh, the fact is that somehow he did. And he was, of course, very easily there able to purchase everything else and assemble it. And he had you know, two working weapons. So, I, I, boy, I could just see this kind of opening a whole can of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this could, this could go a lot of different directions. At the end of the day, it, it doesn't... I mean, it, it only... Serves to reinforce the point, not contradict it. Yeah. But what happens here is you basically have the anti gunners who think that they have the right legislation in place to stop violent crime. And consistently, the evidence presents itself to show that all their proposals that they're proposing won't do squat. And that must create a great amount of cognitive dissonance in their brains. And I can only imagine that, you know, this kind of thing makes them think, oh, then we should do this too. You know, I mean, it's never going to end the potential proposals that we're going to see, but none of them seem to do any good.
0: Right. That's what's so interesting about, you know, this whole debate, this whole issue is – like you know, we've touched on so so often. There, if someone is hell bent on committing an act of violence like this, there's if they really, 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 really want to, there's almost nothing you can do to actually stop them from doing so. And I know it's not what the other side wants to hear from us, uh, but uh, I, I think you know one of the answers has to be that we get more people trained, more people ready, more people lawfully, legally, you know, readily armed, um, and, and hopefully able to, to deal with situations like this. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not pretty. It's not, you know, it's not the reality that we'd like to have, but it is the reality. And so thus we must accept. And I think, you know, the best thing is for us to take personal accountability upon ourselves to make sure we're ready to deal with situations. Anyway, Sad story, of course, in Northern California, and it was resolved, but uh, unfortunately at the loss of a number of individuals' lives. Speaking of passing laws, gun control bills, or pro-gun, or pro-gun bills, this story from BearingArms.com, Gun of America, sends open letter to GOP to, quote, unquote, do something on pro-gun bills. And so we know, because we've reported it on the podcast a number of times, that for the last year or so, uh, we've had several pieces of legislation that have been proposed, have been sitting on desks in Washington, Washington D.C. You know, Some of those dealing with suppressor deregulation, some dealing with some other pro-gun matters. Uh, the one bill that we were pretty excited about a month or two or three ago was the SHARE Act, which was you know it was a pretty broad bill covering a lot of different things some outdoors you know uh converse, conservation type things hunting sorts of things but in there was this deregulation of suppressors which we know famously was brought to to light by Hillary Clinton uh in uh, the uh, hours after the Las Vegas uh, shooting uh saying that you know if imagine how much worse it would have been if you know th- we had been able to deregulate suppressors, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, of course, we know that's a stupid thing to say and we know it's a stupid argument. Uh, we we know that actually having suppressors be regulated like they are is stupid, especially when much of our European friends and counterparts are perfectly okay with suppressors.
1: Yeah, which really proves a point.
0: <laughs> you know, and so uh, the Gun Owners of America, which is a, you know, kind of a similar organization you know it, it's kind of like the NRA, but they're a lot smaller uh, and they 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 you know they they basically put they put themselves out there as being you know the no compromise gun rights uh, group, right and uh, they're always saying how the NRA compromises, which that may be true but regardless there's a number of organizations in our country that hopefully all are working collectively to better our Second Amendment rights. In this case, the gun owners of America wrote a letter to an open letter to Senate Leader Mitch McConnell and Speaker Paul Ryan, urging them to act on program legislation. And uh, this quote here from the letter, I think, is pretty pretty interesting. To make matters worse, it says some Republicans are even falling over themselves, looking for ways to appease the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, and MSNBC with a new package of gun controls centering on ways to buck up the anti-gun Brady Law. But here's the irony. Shooters in virtually every mass, major mass shooting in recent years passed the Brady check. And the one that didn't, in as Adam Lanza in Newtown, killed his mother and stole her guns. And of course, we just talked about this Northern California shooter who didn't actually pass a background check, it appears, to acquire his lower receivers that would have been used to manufacture these guns of his. But regardless, whether you are a previously law-abiding citizen that has nothing on his record that prohibits you from passing a background check and purchasing a gun and you just snap and you go crazy and you shoot up a place or you're intent on breaking the law and you find a way to do it and circumvent it. fact is, the GOA and others and us here, even at concealedcarry.com and the Concealed Carry podcast, we have advocated for the passage of these pro-gun laws and it's a shame to see our legislators our Congress people, you know, immediately after it's in Las Vegas saying, whoa, we got to put the brakes on this. This is not good for optics.
1: Well, and you you just brought up the the key point here, right, is that the politicians want to do whatever the public sentiment supports. And what they need to do is what their constituents support, right? Like if we voted for you, if we put you in office, we expect you to do – what what we put you there to do. And you mentioned, you know, all this kind of deregulating suppressors stuff. You also have, of course, the uh, national reciprocity bill um, and some other things. So it's time for them to do something. Like these bills have just been sitting there. Like, uh, you know, we've talked about how, you know, we got Trump in the White House, the Republicans control the Senate and the House. You know, these these are things that we would think have some hope of getting through. And yet they at least have to be, Addressed they have to, you know someone's actually got to bring them to the floor and do something about it, or it's it's just sitting there right now, just collecting dust right so yeah i I think that g o a is on is on this I think that this is really good that they've brought this up that they're trying to call these people out, and hopefully we can do we can be helpful by letting these you know these representatives these congressmen know. That, you know, despite the recent things that have happened, we still support this legislation. That nothing's changed. We still want them to get it done.
0: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that uh, <laughs> the Republicans in particular, because the Republicans are in control of, of things right now, right? Uh, they they've put the brakes on all this pro-gun legislation. And, you know, they are really struggling right now to to look as though they are getting stuff they're, they're really struggling to get stuff done frankly period like because there's so much bickering within the party and there's all this par- party politics going on and no- nothing really is getting done and you know what that will not bode well for them in upcoming elections and i know there's always this and, and and frankly i think it's a legitimate fear a fear that i have that politicians always are in need of doing something and even even if it means it does something that's not good or ideal but in this case with these uh, pro-gun bills something needs to be done about these and it should be done now and you know this last quote here from the letter if republicans want to energi- energize their base and i think this is really true please consider enacting real public safety improvements that involve protecting liberty not taking it away yeah well said yeah well, support the, the gun owners of America. Support. The, I, I still think you know we should support the NRA. Of course, um, you know there's some debate sometimes on that. But but you know what? It, the overall is we're all trying to promote gun rights. So let's support where we can and join in. Send letters to your congressmen and women, and heck, even copy President Trump. <laughs> let's make something happen. Okay, next story. Speaking of gun control. From The Guardian, Americans aged 18 to 34 most likely to oppose assault weapons ban. Poll finds
1: This is a great one. Oh, it is. This one cracks me up. I I had so much fun with this. This article, the, the, the problem is that everything about this is just wrong out of the gate. I, I would love to see the survey they, they did. To make a long story short, they obviously are citing some research that was done, some Americans that were polled to find out if they support or oppose banning assault weapons. And the, you know, there's the big headline here is that these young millennials, they they're most likely to oppose a ban of assault weapons. But it's hilarious because as you read through it, they they like everything about this is wrong, right? I mean, first off, they're using the word assault weapon and assault rifle uh, quote right. military style assault weapons, you know, and referring to semi-automatic rifles. So so everything about the premise is totally screwed up. And it makes me wonder, you know, like what would happen if I did a poll and I called up Americans and I said, do you support or oppose electing stupid people to Congress? <laughs> you know, and I, I bet you a large majority of Americans would oppose electing stupid people uh, because of the way the question is worded. Of course, no one wants stupid people to be in, con- in Congress. In the same way, if you call up Americans and say, do you support or oppose banning military-style assault weapons, You know, you're going to get a very different answer than if you say, do you support or oppose banning semi-automatic rifles capable of firing one round every time the trigger is squeezed? So, you know, like it's – we're talking about the same thing when it's all said and done, but they describe it in a way that's completely ridiculous in the same way that if I say, you know, do you support electing stupid people? Most people (laughs) would say no, um, but how I define what's stupid and how everybody else defines what's stupid, could you know, is not always the same.
0: Yeah. Now, by the way, this poll was done by Quinnipiac, which is a, I mean, they're they're reputable polling. You know, it's Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac University, right? And they they do polls on everything, especially during election time. Now, did they get it wrong? Yeah, they get it wrong, and they got it wrong here because I. I Yeah, I really do think it's hard to say this is a fair poll, a fair question to ask when you're – maybe this is the language they meant to use. I mean, maybe they really do mean assault weapons, except I don't think they do because I don't think they care or they don't know because they're they're just uneducated. It's like I I said earlier. There's people out there that want to ban things they know nothing about, and that makes it really difficult to have a conversation with them or debate with them or argue with them over these types of matters because they don't know what they're talking about. And so when you bring up, you know, well-educated, thoughtful, you know, fact-based responses for them, it doesn't make sense because to them, assault weapon, assault rifle, AR-15, modern sporting rifle, semi-automatic, whatever, like it it does, it, it, they just lump it all into the same category and know that all that stuff is, you know, in my world is bad and we need to get rid of
1: it. Yeah. Bad and scary. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's mind blowing to me. It's, it's like. It's all about the verbiage used, you know. It's, it's yeah. just crazy. Yep.
0: You now it's interesting because uh, one of the takeaways here, I'm, I'm looking at the the document that's linked here in the Guardian article. So this takes you to a PDF file uh, through from Quinnipiac University. And uh, some of the things here is um, just expound upon this. American voter support 65 to 31 percent nationwide ban on the sale of assault weapons. Now this is a challenge because. You know, if you could ask even pro-gun households, do you support banning assault weapons? And a gun owner that knows a thing or two about definitions and what things are, they'd go, well, yeah, you know, I, I really don't, you know, believe. And I, trust me, there's lots of gun owners out there like this that that, that don't necessarily want uh, true assault weapons, full, you know, guns with select fire, capable of fully automatic fire. They're okay with those being banned, which essentially they already are, right? And so they'll be like, yeah, okay, sure, I'm okay with that, right? Because they hear assault weapon, they think, sure. in their mind, that's what they think of. Yep. Uh, it says here, voters and gun households support a ban, fifty-one to forty-three percent. But I think if you get the language correct, and and like you suggested, Jacob, you ask them a proper, unbiased question to, especially to the gun owning households, that that number I'll bet you changes dramatically. Uh, Let's see, voters support 60 to 36% stricter gun laws and a number of gun specific measures. 9 to 1 to 7% for a ban on the sale of guns to people convicted of a violent crime. That doesn't surprise me. 62 to 34% for stricter regulation of ammunition sales. Do you remember last week, or maybe it was the week before, I talked about one thing I can see them going for at some point? You know, if they can't control the guns, they'll do what they can to control the ammunition. And, you know, you see. There are people out there that are willing to support that. Um, 74 to 24% support a ban on gun modifications that make a gun work more like a fully automatic weapon. Tim Malloy, Assistant Assistant Director of the Quinnipiac University Poll, says with each American gun massacre, there is stronger voter support for tighter gun control measures.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I... Here, we, what we need to do, and we haven't really done this well in this podcast, we definitely, by going through these legislative updates, I think listeners get a good sense for how we feel about some of these things. What we haven't done is taken one of these political questions like background checks and hashed it out sufficiently, I think, to to help our listeners really understand why some of these things are bad. Because I, I, I got to tell you guys, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, hey, I, su- I support background checks. like I'm all for university- – like I, I don't feel – I don't I don't hate you like I get it like there's something on the surface of that that sounds very smart and sort of why notish and in, until we really give you some reason not to support universal background checks or you know magazine capacity or some limitations or some of these things then you're gonna be inclined to say well what what's so wrong with supporting these you know common sense gun laws so just just know that there are good reasons why we shouldn't and and maybe we need to go into more depth in that at, at some point because clearly you know even some of some of our own tribe, right. is out there saying, Hey, I'm, I'm okay with that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, by the way, if you go down to the bottom of this article, Jacob, from the guardian, uh, this kind of blew my mind. And I think this could almost be a topic in of itself, you know, a story in of itself for today. Uh, But I won't, I won't make it that. But if you go to the bottom of the article, the guardian has placed in there a little insert and it says here, while we have you help us break the cycle of failure on gun violence. And this looks like a GoFundMe campaign, right? You see $35,853 raised so far out of a $100,000 goal. What's this about? It's time for a radically different approach to media coverage of gun violence in the U S says this little excerpt here. The Guardian. So this is clearly put on by the 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 site that we're sharing this story from. They are seeking contributions to fund Break the Cycle, our in depth series to challenge the orthodoxy that gun control is simply too difficult and promote creative solutions. Now, on surface, that might sound reasonable. Okay, let's find creative solutions to, to solve gun violence. In my world, that would mean without, you know, infringing already even further on law abiding gun owners, right? But then if we get in a little deeper, politicians often insist after mass shootings that now is not the time to discuss reform. We believe now is the time. By keeping the issue of gun violence in the public eye, we can drive a conversation and create meaningful change. Boy, this almost sounds like a talk from President Obama. Your support will fund our in-depth reporting on guns throughout 2018. You know, so what? What they're saying here? I mean, this is this is not uh, uh, <laughs> this is so transparent. They're saying that gun control. You know, right there in that that first paragraph, last last bit of it, the we need to challenge the orthodoxy that gun control is simply too difficult. So clearly, really, what they are after is that we are after they they want more gun control. And they think their their mission as a journalistic organization is that they can promote that by being able to produce more journalism, supposedly, although it would not be journalism. They want more reporting on guns and gun-related uh, issues throughout the year 2018. So here, donate some money to our cause. If you go to the About Us page on The Guardian, this is no surprise either, uh, right here on their site, uh, Latest work for us news, comment, and analysis from The Guardian, the world's leading liberal voice.
1: Oh, there's your answer.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, this, I'm sure this comes as no shock or surprise to any of our listeners, but I just, I was kind of blown away when I saw this campaign at the bottom of this article. Yeah. Yeah. Like in your face, blatant, like, yeah, uh, wow. Okay. I'm never going to The Guardian again. OK We're not sharing a story unless, unless it helps us see what the other side is doing. I'm not sharing any more stories fr- from, their, from their site.:
1: it's, I found it very entertaining, Riley? Really.
0: It was entertaining, I agree. Final story, by the way, before we get to our justified segment: Elderly British man jailed for a collection of over 100 illegal firearms. This on the firearmblog.com. And uh, so right here, the seven, a 74-year-old man, self-proclaimed history buff, has been jailed in the UK when his collection of nearly 200 firearms was discovered after a fire at his home. Now, this is interesting how this came to be, Jacob. Paul Bushell's Bushel's collection was discovered by firefighters back in May when his home in Gillingham, Kent caught fire while he was at a friend's 70th birthday lunch. On hearing about the fire, he allegedly told a friend, quote, I have done something wrong. I might be in a lot of trouble, end quote. It took police teams four days to complete their search and catalog approximately 160 firearms and a stock of ammunition. Luckily, none of which was touched by the fire. <laughs> uh, now, this is a quote from the senior investigating officer, Detective Inspector Susan Smith, who said, Bushell had a staggering collection of guns, which, if they were to get into the wrong hands, could have been catastrophic.:
1: <laughs> Sure. You know, no, no, no.
0: Here's yeah. what I think is so funny about this, Jacob. I, I, I'm sorry to be, you know, I'm, I'm laughing and I think it's funny. It's not funny. I, I feel bad for this guy, because one, he lives in the U.K. and he can't you know, he doesn't have a Second Amendment like we have here in the States. You know, clearly, he's passionate about guns. He, he collects guns. He's passionate about history and he's got himself in trouble. I mean, obviously he knew what what, you know, having these guns in his possession was illegal. He knew it was against the law. He he knew that. So, I mean, he he brought this upon himself ultimately. At the same time, I chuckle because it it <laughs> they're going to make him out to be a villain and he's been sentenced and convicted, convicted and sentenced to 5 years in prison. He he is a bad person for having these 160 firearms. He's a bad person, Jacob. And the funny thing is, I mean that facetiously because he—he's not a bad—he's not a bad person. He wasn't out committing crimes with these. He wasn't, you know, committing mass murders. He just was a passionate collector of firearms, and he had all these in his possession. And no—and no harm came to anyone.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, you—you—you you, you hit both points of the spectrum, right? On one hand, it's like, hey, dude broke the law. He knew it, you know. He got caught. Sorry. On the other hand, it's like, you know, apparently, you know, he's probably going to end up on some, you know, so there'll be some news article in the future written by someone in the UK who will put him on a list along with a bunch of other like domestic terrorists, <laughs> you know, as like examples of people who have committed domestic terrorism and his name will be on that list. And that's, that's not called for. That's unjustified. And that, that's just the nature of how these things go. But he should have sold me the guns. You know, he should have figured out how to get him to the US <laughs> and I would have bought him.
0: You know, there's some photos in this article, and half of these things are, like, rusting and, you know, like, covered in oh, dirt yeah. and grime. Right. And I'm like, man, <laughs> well, he, he may have been a collector, but he apparently didn't take very good care of them. Or maybe this is the condition he found these in. You know, I, I don't know. Like, some of these are from, you know, there's a... Uh, Submachine gun, commando submachine gun from South Africa. Well, how do you get that? I mean, maybe he went to South Africa. Maybe he found it in the dirt somewhere because it looks pretty cruddy and then he mailed it to himself or something. <laughs> you know, I don't I, I, I'm fascinated with how he was able to get a hold of these in the UK and he was able to do His family clearly knew about this. Yeah, they talked clearly. about it. You know, it's mentioned in the article how they, they, they knew about, about this. Um, you know, so it, that's kind of interesting as well. But once again, like, I, I think it's so sad that. That the people in in the UK and other uh, countries in the in uh, Europe can't ha- can't be collectors of firearms like this, and that they can't have some of these guns the way we have here in the US. Be- you know, when, when they're law abiding people, generally. And no harm comes to anyone. Like it's just, it's the thing that they like to do, and they're enjoying something that I think rightfully can be and should be enjoyed uh, above the basic self-defense, you know, purpose that for me is a big driver behind everything I do with with a firearm. But uh, interesting story here, and poor guy. He's going to spend some. You know, he might very well die in prison. Who knows?
1: Who knows? Um, Yeah. That's. uh...
0: Now, one thing he didn't do a very good job of, besides taking care of these these guns, was storing them properly. And I'm sure our listeners know well they've heard us preach many times about proper storage, and it does say that you know most of these guns are just laying around the house and so to some you know degree the the the, the, the detective inspector is not that far off base as far as like she said, can you imagine if these had fallen into the wrong hands? Well, it is plausible they could have sure. because he they weren't secured but yeah that's the only only thing they could point at here and say he's a terrible person because he had all these guns and they could have gotten in the wrong hands but they didn't and no one got hurt and so it's like no harm no foul but whatever poor guy first justified story out of michigan man holds Michigan shooting suspect at gunpoint tells him to get on the ground jacob i'm handing this one off to you
1: okay Man holds Michigan shooting suspect at gunpoint, tells him to get on the ground. All right. So what we have going on here is we have a man who has been accused of shooting his estranged wife and her friend. Don't know much about the friend at an apartment complex in Ortonville, Michigan. Okay. So essentially what happens is uh, the resident who didn't want to give his name said he checked the vehicle on his property and saw the suspect underneath a blanket in the back seat. So imagine You know, I don't know. You know, this—it's an apartment complex. So maybe you—you're kind of gone out. Maybe you're getting ready to get in your car, and you look and you're like, "Hey, there's something in the back seat that doesn't look right." And what you find out is that the bad guy or gal—the guy in this case—is underneath a blanket in the back seat. And and maybe you figure that out because it says, "Quote: Noticed the windows were fogged up." (laughs) So uh, pulls out his gun and got the bad guy out of the vehicle, asking him to get on the ground. And takes his, takes his phone, calls nine one one, and within a few minutes, a SWAT team came and quote took care of him. And he said that the bad guy was very compliant, and it's over and all is well. He's a, he's a bit disheveled, so you know, all in all, no shots were fired.
0: Um, well, well, I'm at confi- this hold on, scene. hold on. So, 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 th- there's a there's a deeper story here, right? Yeah, there's
1: more to it. than This, this. man
0: they were looking for. Police were looking for because that the previous night he had tried to murder his ex, I think an ex-wife or ex-girlfriend, and uh, and her new partner,
1: her oh, new yeah, special yeah. somebody, shot right. in the head. Yeah, and so he had fled the scene on foot after the original incident, and they had not they had not found him essentially. And uh, now, you know, this other homeowner discovers him in the back of the car where the windows are fogged up. You know, I'm thinking about this because you know, imagine that you're the homeowner. You have no idea what this guy has done, right? It's just some guy in a car that you don't. You have no idea what what he's done, why he's here. You know, for all you know, he's homeless. You know, right? You don't even know that these are these real bad criminal. And what if you had not had your gun? What if you had not been on your game? This is someone who's already shot two people in the head. And is looking for an escape. Doesn't want to be caught.
0: Yeah. Oh, this one's crazy to me because you're exactly right in that you don't always know what you're going to come face to face with. So you know, on one hand, we talk about how uh, you know it's like it's 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 concerning that uh, sometimes in some situations where this man approaches a vehicle, he sees someone's in it, and he's immediately drawing his weapon and telling the person to get out. Like, that almost seems a little bit uncalled for, um, potentially, right? But at the same time, you realize now after the fact that this guy tried to murder two people the night before. Now, I say tried because he shot them both in the head, and somehow they're both still alive uh, in the hospital. So I don't know if he, what he was using that he was shooting them with, or he was just a really terrible aim. But uh, they're, they're both, it appears, I mean, they're listed in a stable condition, it says. So that bodes well for them. But, you know, so on one hand, I I look at the situation. I'm like, wow, you know, like I would probably caution somebody like you you can't just go right to your gun and, you know, hold it in somebody's face and tell them to get out of your van. But maybe this guy knew more than what the story lets on to, because I kind of wonder, Jacob, if, you know, the local news would have been talking all about this, this manhunt underway, right? and maybe he realizes huh there's somebody in the back of my van and hmm that i'm kind of in the area where they're looking for this guy that tried to kill two people last night so that i think would give you a little bit more you know justification to go you know what i don't know who this dude is and now he's seen me and i've seen him and and i'm uncomfortable with just you know Leaving, so I'm I'm going to draw my gun and tell him to, you know, like, I don't know. There's, he, he probably still could have just called police and let them handle it to some degree. But the fact is, he solved the problem and he found the dude that, that is basically a murderer, mm-hmm. although he may not be convicted of murder, but attempted murder. So, attempted murder,
1: right? It says they, have, they yeah. appear to be recovering. Yeah.
0: Right. So oh, it's a
1: pretty interesting story. Yeah. I think, I think the takeaway from me or the lesson is you know, I don't know what I'm walking into. You know, it might appear yeah. that it's something very innocent or or not but i don't i don't know what i'm walking into i don't know who this person is or why they're here and so how important is it that i a came prepared then b that i you know act accordingly you know with with kind of a worst case scenario kind of approach because i, I don't know what i'm going to get
0: right yeah that, that's a really important thing right there is to always be prepared and come prepared because you don't know what you might face good summary Next story from the Salt Lake Tribune: mm-hmm. Shooting investigation. Two teens tried to rob off-duty West Valley police officer, but likely didn't know he was a cop.
1: That seems unlikely. Yeah,
0: I agree. <laughs> so, uh, two teens, it says, were are accused of shooting and wounding a man during an attempted robbery last week. Likely, they likely did not know he was a off-duty West Valley City officer. The officer was checking his mail at a communal mailbox at home. As he walked back home, two suspects with a handgun stopped him and allegedly attempted to rob him. During the course of this robbery, multiple rounds were fired both at the officer and by the officer, the release stated. The suspects fled. Shortly after the officer reported the shooting, the release states, two youths arrived at a local hospital with gunshot wounds. A 17-year-old male had been shot once and a 15-year-old had been shot twice they arrived at the hospital in a vehicle matching the description the officer had given after the shooting. Now, the officer chef suffered one gunshot wound in the foot and is recovering after being released from the hospital. He was not in uniform during the attempted robbery. Uh, so that's why they say they don't, there's no indication that they, the suspects knew that he was a police officer. They likely didn't know what they were about to go up against because he obviously he won that battle. I mean, he now, now, here's the important thing, though, right, as far as how I read this somewhat. Is just because we might win a gunfight doesn't mean we win without taking some licks.
1: Yeah, that's a really no. valid point. And you know, there's a lot of other things that I think are interesting about this one that I, I kind of maybe I'm reading too far into it. But imagine you're you're the off-duty cop. You're going to your mail. first off, Riley, your your mailbox I believe is on your on your house on your property. Yep. I have a community mailbox, so lame. I, yeah, it's true. It is lame. It totally sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, I mean, there's some advantages, but anyway, not the point. But I, the point is I make that walk, you know, about once a day, right? from From the house to the mailbox and back. And when I'm walking back, I'm often... Uh, very vulnerable because I am carrying a massive pile of packages. My hands are full. Sometimes to the point that I'm literally like using my chin to hold the the packages, you know, in place. So I don't drop them all. Um, and, and I probably should just like go with my car and pick them up. There's a good takeaway, but I'm imagining if I was this dude and two, two, you know, teenagers came up to me and they have guns and they're like, Hey, you know, give us the packages or your wallet or whatever it is that they're asking for. There's a couple of things to think about here. Um, if if, if you're an off-duty cop, do you think you're more inclined or less inclined to just hand over whatever they're asking for and let them go?
0: (laughs) Probably less inclined.
1: Probably less inclined. And and I don't know, like this is total Monday quarterback, armchair guy, you know, whatever we call it. Like I, I really don't have any idea. I don't know the officer. I don't know what happened. But I suspect that the officer is probably less inclined to let these boys make off with whatever valuable thing. So he might... He might have made a poor decision to draw on someone who was already drawn on him. And this is actually something we've talked about the last several episodes, but it it generally doesn't often work out well for you to try to draw a gun on someone who's already drawn on you. And in this case, the officer got shot. And that could be because of that very reason, that he was trying to move quickly, but ultimately it's pretty hard to draw a gun and fire from concealed faster than someone else can just squeeze a trigger uh, in, in the end, maybe it'll all work out and uh, it is a justified story. After all, he was, you know, he, he was shot at, they had guns, they weren't afraid to use them, but you know, it might end ended differently if he just handed over the valuables, let them run off. He's a cop. He probably would have gotten a really good description, probably could have reported information correctly, maybe even given a better pursuit in a situation where he had better cover. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think at the very least that's, that's something to consider and think about.
0: Mm-hmm. Here's what I was thinking uh, kind of in response to what you're touching on, which I think is very fair, by the way. And, uh, you know, certainly cops are capable of making mistakes and, and or poor judgment calls. And I'm not necessarily here to say whether he made a, the right one or the wrong one. We don't know all the facts of the story. You know, if maybe one of these thugs did something in such a way that caused him to believe that they were actually about to, you know, cause him some harm. Uh, whatever. But, here's what I kind of found it interesting as I considered this all is let's say, suppose you got some packages or some mail in your arms or in your hands, uh, or it could be anything, you know, whether it's a bag, a box, uh, your phone in your hand or something that somebody comes to, to rob you or relieve you of. And if for some reason you feel like that you must use deadly force, but they've already got the drop on you. Don't forget that the, the things that are in your hands that you're carrying, uh, even if it isn't something that, you know, if you had a drink in your hand, Jacob, that could be used to great effect as far as creating a momentary distraction to gain that, that you know, to then uh, change, you know, the, the tide or the course of things as far as maybe now you can gain the upper hand, the element of surprise. If I had a drink in my hand, I've often thought about this I'm, I'm carrying it in my left hand, you know walking uh, down the street or whatever not that I do this often. but you know suppose I'm walking down the street and I've got a, a soda in my hand and I'm sipping at it you know, and some dude comes up and wants to hurt me or rob me or whatever it is, and he's got a weapon in his hand, you know I've, I've considered, okay, if I had to, I can throw this drink at them, right potentially uh, maybe it's the phone in my hand and they, they want they want the phone. And maybe you just, as you go to hand it to them, you just sort of slip and you drop it on the ground. What are they going to do? They're going to probably bend down and pick it up. Bam. You know, there's your opportunity. So, I mean, when we have things in our hands, when we have objects, you know, I, I, those are potential opportunities as well to create that distraction to buy you time to react if you feel like you need to react. As far as drawing that gun or using deadly force.
1: Yeah. Um, sometimes you mentioned you know using whatever's in your hand to throw at at the that the BG. Why that's also very valuable. I'd also say that sometimes your threat might not be close enough for that to make sense. Sometimes I think there's just some mental component of, could be. You, of you being. I think I think there's some necessary mental preparedness just relative to being willing to drop things that otherwise you might not normally drop. Valuable things like your phone, right? Like we don't want to drop yep. our phone. The screen's going to crack because it's an iPhone. The iPhone screens crack, but. I think that, you know, having that having mentally prepared yourself to the idea that I'll drop whatever's in my hands without any thought for it whatsoever as a part of the beginning of my drawstroke is a really good mental preparation. It's a good mental exercise.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's that is true too. I mean, I think I, I read situations like this. Yeah, this is a armed robbery these are these guys are probably in fairly close proximity. They're trying to take something from him, right? but but you're you're right in that there, there could be situations where they're not within a reasonable distance, you know to where that's going to be effective, throwing a drink at them, for instance, or whatever it is. Um, but uh, yeah, you do need to be ready to to drop or free up the hands so you can draw if you have to or or whatever it is. So good observations there. Let's get to the next story, which is in Houston, Texas. Robbery suspect killed in violent gas station shootout in North Houston. Take it away.
1: A North Freeway gas station owner was making coffee inside his store this morning when a pair of would-be robbers ran inside. Moments later, there was gunfire and it wasn't one-sided. Okay. So what we have essentially is gun st- the, the gas station owner and and a couple of robbers, and they're exchanging gunfire back and forth. No customers were inside the store at the time, so there, it, said, it did say there was another employee uh, in the back in a, in a in a back room that was safe and he was fine, but otherwise it was just the, the guy behind the counter who's the owner, and the two bad dudes the bad, the robbers. So the, now this whole incident was recorded on store security video, and you have the owner of the gas station who I'm going to say his name is Kaloon. And then you have the bad guys and gals, right? The BGS. And Kaloon, in the course of exchanging gunfire, he he draws and he you know he shoots at the bad guys. He is struck as many as eight times in his left arm, according to his family. That that's what it says here. Now, he obviously fired back, and according to police, he struck at least one of the suspects. The suspects drove away, but not for very far. About a block away, they crashed, and the, one of the suspects was dead when police arrived. So clearly. Whoever was driving was was shot. There might have been other people shot. It's clear, it says, that as many as three people were involved in the robbery, uh, according according to the police. Two vehicles entered the gas station, one following the other, both left after the shooting. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit kind of crazy. It's not totally clear if if all the bad guys have been apprehended, how many of them were shot, but at least one was, and that one's dead and, and crashed a car because, you know, probably was bleeding out trying to drive. Uh, and Mr. Calhoun, the good guy in this case, did not escape un unscathed, uh, and it would be interesting. In fact, rather, it would be really interesting sometimes to talk to some of these people and say, "Are you glad you did what you did? Like in hindsight, right. would you would you do anything differently? Would you just have handed over all the cash in the gas station? You know, if you're the one who owns the gas station, you know, you have a lot to lose when you empty out that till. Totally, and, and you have gl- yeah. good reason to believe you could be in deadly you know danger too.
0: Yeah, this is such a you know, this is a crazy story. I mean, he's hit eight times in his left arm. I I bet you, I'll bet you he couldn't use that left arm. You That's know, a fair assumption. Well, yeah, at some point during this encounter. So a couple of takeaways is, are we capable of shooting one-handed? Are we effective one-handed? Have you practiced one-handed drills? You know, if you practice reloading one handed, I know that I've, I see comments. Well, that's a, that's an overrated skill that civilians would never need, but I'm not convinced of that. I mean, is it unlikely that you would need to do that? Maybe, but this guy is in a shooting where he, there's at least eight shots fired. And I'll tell you what, there's probably more than that because I'll bet you not every one of the bullets that were fired by these bad guys struck him and he's, he's hit eight times in his left arm. That is intense, especially because it's all in his left arm, apparently. Uh, I don't know what what direction he was facing, but apparently those guys were not capable of aiming anywhere else other than his left arm, and none of the bullets passed through and struck some other part of his body, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to to read that.
1: A more likely reality is that he was using some form of cover, and his left arm was exposed.
0: That could be. That could be. So, you know, but still, I mean, that's, that's crazy. Now, a couple of things here as well that I want to address. Sometimes, you know, people will talk about only needing so many rounds in your gun. Oh, you don't need to carry spare ammo. Um, that brave response holster is dumb. You, do, you know, if you, if you need more than one round, then, then you're stupid. You can't shoot or something. And I'm thinking <laughs> if this guy could get shot eight times in this encounter, then it's entirely plausible that he could just as easily expend eight rounds as he's trying to defend himself. You know what I mean? And so having spare ammo is not a bad idea. Is it unlikely that you would ever have to go through one entire magazine and then reload and continue fighting? Yeah, that's unlikely. But is it possible? Sure, it's possible. And I, you know what? I plan for the worst and I hope for the best in almost everything that I do. And I I think you should too. Because of stories like this, and I can point at other stories that I think illustrate a lot of the same things, but but you know, this dude is—he's wounded in his left arm. He's probably fighting one-handed at that point. Um, that's that's a reality that you've got to be willing to face, and hopefully, you're prepared to deal with.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a lot of good lessons learned from this one.
0: Yeah, crazy story. You don't you don't see that very often. It does say that this whole incident was captured on surveillance video in the store. I want that
1: video. <laughs> that often is the case. There's a lot of surveillance video I'd like to have my hands on.
0: Yeah. I'll have to see if I can follow up with that one, see if they release it at a later date or if I can contact somebody and get a hold of it. But final story, fox10tv.com. This, this
1: one is not in a gas station or in a house, which you know goes against our trends.
0: Yeah, this one's also quite a story. Uh, Mobile, Alabama, uh, according to MPD, that's Mobile Police Department, I-10 shooting appears to be self-defense. Okay, so yeah, here's the story. And this one's kind of tricky to follow your way through it, but I'll see if I can uh, break it down simply. All right, so you got two men. One of them is un- unidentified. We, we You know, even throughout the whole story, we don't find out who he is. He is the one that apparently, according to the Mobile Police Department, uses self-defense as he fires his gun and kills somebody, okay? All right, so that's that's one individual. Then another individual is the son of a man named Timothy Pinkard. Timothy Pinkard is the man that ultimately is shot and killed, so he's the father of this 20-year-old other man, his son, okay? Okay. The story begins with apparently some sort of altercation, apparent road rage, it might be, it seems, uh, between the unidentified self-defense supposed shooter and Pinkard's son, all right? Some sort of altercation occurs. Pinkard, the son, chases the other man, all right? And while he's doing that, he calls his father and asks his dad for help. So Mm -hmm. his dad starts coming, all right? Police are all also called at some point. But before police arrive or whatever, Pinkard, the man, the father, who ultimately is shot and killed, and his son, and remember the father is the one that the son called and said, hey, come help me, dad. They somehow force the other man off the road and pin him between their two vehicles. At which point another altercation ensues, and the man that's pinned in, boxed in, draws a gun, and shoots and kills the father, Timothy Pinkard. The son is unscathed. He's he's not injured in, in the course of this. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this is...
1: Whew, Except that he's now fatherless.
0: Right, right, and which is terrible. Now, police, like I said, are initially ruling this as, as self-defense. And even the police chief, and this is kind of interesting because I think, I mean, this is... Considering this is probably still an active investigation, because there is another in, uh, event that took place, that the prior altercation. Remember, and they did say that the the shooter, even though he may have been uh, he may have defended himself in this later altercation. He may face charges on that pre- prior altercation. All right. Yeah. Let
1: me. Th- here, here's a, 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 a for example, right? And we don't know if this is true, but let's say in the in the initial confrontation that uh the the son the 20 year old right he he gets he cuts off somebody in traffic on accident and he doesn't realize he's done it and then then the person has been cut off kind of passes him real fast and waves a gun through the window like yo you cut me off and i got a gun or whatever and speeds off Mm -hmm. and that's that's not cool right like you shouldn't shouldn't be doing that and so the son's like oh my gosh that guy's got threatened me with a gun what do i do so he calls his dad dad this guy threatened me with a gun and so, Dad speeds off, and they box in the gun guy and force him off off the road. And th- what's the game plan now? And so, now the confrontation happens such that you know police are, are identifying that well, this this guy who may or may not have been in the right in the initial you know confrontation or gun threat or whatever I'm supposing it might have been, he's now in a situation where he's pinned between two people, he can't escape, and they're saying who knows what to him, right? And and, mm-hmm. and so. That's kind of, you know, gives you some context for how this might have gone down.
0: Yeah. And by the way, t- Timothy Pinkard, the father, he may have had a weapon on him as he got out of his vehicle and approached the man that they have now boxed in or something. We don't know that for sure yet. But like I said, uh, this is according to the Mobile Police Chief. He says that the facts in the case appear, they, they point towards t- self-defense. So there's, there's got to be a pretty good reason as to why they feel that way. And, of course, the full story will probably come out at some point. Now, they are saying this case will be presented to a grand jury. Uh, But uh, one thing that the police chief had to say about this is that um, if Mr. Pinkard's son, this is quoting him, had taken a different approach to dealing with this incident by one, by not calling his father and placing him in the middle of a confrontation that he's having, he's a 20-year-old subject that should be capable of dealing with conflict or at least knowing what to do and And I think what the Chief is getting at here is that the son, by calling his father and and his his father coming to help him to rescue him in you know sort in a way that 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 likely escalated the situation I mean they ultimately probably caused what happened in the end here because they boxed this dude in and forced him off the road and because later in the in this the chief says. If you are, if you take into all the facts of this, you know, where a third party joins in and someone's following you and they force you off the side of the road, they box you in and force you to stop. If you take all those facts into consideration, you as a reasonable person, would you feel that your life is in jeopardy in a situation like that? Mm-hmm. I think I think he's suggesting, yeah, I mean, that's 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 reasonable to to say, you know, that you would feel threatened, severely threatened because of the the steps. I mean, these guys have gone above and beyond to Uh, you know, to, to stop this guy, to pull him off, to box him in, not allow him any sort of escape. And he's now he's, he's got not just one, but two guys he's dealing with one on each side of him. I mean, that this is tactically a very dangerous position to be in if you're that dude that's in the middle and all it takes is for the father to come out with a bat, a wrench, a crowbar, a knife, or a gun. And you're going, ah, crap right the crap has now hit the fan mm-hmm. so you know the point is is that the son should not have escalated this which essentially is what he what he did now he could have let it go he could have he got could have got a license plate he could have called it in there's a lot of ways he could have handled that he could have reported the initial altercation if if it, in fact he was not the one that was at fault and it was the other guy there're a lot of things that could have been done differently and now he's fatherless his, his dad is dead Um, Andrew Branca, by the way, talks pretty, pretty well about, you know, in his law of self-defense book about these types of situations, as far as, you know, where you've got an initial altercation, for instance, right? And that takes place. And now you leave, let's suppose I'm the dude that's the driver that ultimately uses self-defense, right? And let's suppose I could have even started that altercation, but I have now left that situation completely, right? So I'm, I have withdrawn and and it's pretty apparent that I have driven away. I am gone. I am out of there, right? And now you pursue me and now you take steps to force me against my will to do, you know, to like, you know, go off the road, for instance. And now maybe you come at me with a weapon. That's a separate, that's a separate incident, this is a tricky part of the law because if in the beginning if the altercation the initial altercation I'm the bad guy and I start it, right? But I don't leave that situation, I keep pressing the, the the issue and the son defends himself against me and he hurts me or even if I you know like I'm the bad guy in that initial altercation, right? Like no matter what happens, even if I use self-defense in that initial situation, it it's still likely going to come back on me. Like I'm going to see charges. But now that you have left and you have withdrawn from that situation, the son brought it back. He, he came after me, and then I was threatened. It's too different. That's why this guy could face charges from the initial altercation, but not necessarily for the self-defense shooting later on. Does that make yep.
1: sense? Yeah, no, and I think it's a good, good summary.
0: Yeah, and that, that's that's a hard concept to to really understand and wrap your your mind around. Um, for, for I think you know it's it's not something that people generally understand very well, uh, but it is that's pretty much how the law works in most states, from what I've read and from what I understand. So, we'll uh, if we get an update on that story, we'll we'll come back to that because I, I do think there's probably a lot of lessons to be learned from that one. So, anyway, time to wrap it up for today. Um, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Which you know we've been pushing lately because this week is the week where we launch our Guardian Nation Black Friday sale starting Thursday night at 10 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 p.m. Well, I guess 12 midnight Eastern, 11 p.m. Central, 10 Mountain, 9 p.m. Uh, West, you know, Pacific time. Right. Big Black Friday sale starting this Thursday Thanksgiving night. And that'll run. When does that run through till, Jacob?
1: Basically till the end of Cyber Monday. Cyber Cyber Monday at eleven yep. fifty nine PM.
0: So all through the weekend, including Monday, and, and until you know, as long as supplies last. Which we have got a lot of doorbuster prizes, or not prizes. <laughs> you could think of them as prizes. They're so they're so hugely discounted. They might as well be a prize. You're practically getting this stuff for cost or less than cost. Some of these items we are losing money on. That's the whole point of a door buster. Hopefully, you'll you know, spend money on other things in our store, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, cross your fingers, Riley.
0: <laughs> but uh, big-time Guardian Nation Black Friday sale. I'm super stoked and excited about it. If you want to participate, though, you need to be a Guard- Guardian Nation member today. Well, at least by Thursday.
1: 10 p.m. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so make it happen. GuardianNation.com. Today's episode is also sponsored by the Brave Response Appendix Holster which we just launched last week, and it has been a huge hit. We've sold a a crap load of them already, which has been really phenomenal to see. Clearly, it's a product people have been excited for and waiting for for some time. And uh, I love my Brave Response Appendix holster. I know you do too, Jacob.
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan.
0: Yep. And we learned something too, by the way, because the Brave Response Appendix holster that you and I have been wearing for the last month is not quite the same holster as what people are getting shipped.
1: No, it's not as good. The one people are getting shipped is even better. So if you're listening to this and you bought the Brave Response Pedix holster last week or recently, just know that you're, you're getting one that's even better than the one that Riley and I have been using. Uh, it has a little upgrade on it. And we actually have a little video that explains that upgrade. I'm going to be sending it out here yeah. later today.
0: Super exciting. I mean, that's how quickly, you know, th- there was some feedback that was given uh, pretty early on there and just before the launch. And the Brave Response team was able to incorporate that into the design and got it redesigned. You know, they sewed, you know, it, it involved some sewing of some you know, other material onto it. And it's going to make it conceal a lot better, which is, which is phenomenal because I think it already conceals really well, especially on me. It's a great holster. It's super comfortable. Uh, I wore mine as I drove to Idaho on Saturday here, and which is where I am now, rec- recording remotely. And I, I, I don't even hardly realize it's there as I'm sitting, driving. Whereas almost any other appendix holster would be pinching the crap and you know digging into my, into my groin area. So. Really great holster, especially if you like to carry appendix, or even if you don't carry appendix, but you'd like to try, it's totally worth it. By the way, same 60-day, no questions asked, money-back guarantee. If you don't like the holster, just send it back. We'll make it right with you. Concealedcarry.com forward slash BR appendix, B-R-A-P-P-E-N-D-I-X, concealedcarry.com forward slash BR appendix. Go check it out. And so with that, we are going to sign off. Jacob, any last words? No. No. Happy Thanksgiving. Indeed. We hope that you do enjoy your Thanksgiving and that everyone out there will be safe. So with that, we'll sign off with a reminder to train right, train off, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone.